Thank y'all very much. Appreciate y'all always. And I want to say a lot of y'all know what happened on Thursday night. And I'm a loser. I slept through the whole thing. No help at all. Uh, it's good to see Melissa, see you and your family. Um, man, they had they got hit hard on their street. And uh, we're just glad you guys are okay and uh, are able to worship with us today. And, uh, of course, Mike mentioned some of the folks. And we'll mention that again at the end that you can help out with in the area, but we're just, we're just grateful that, I mean, it, when you see that, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to believe that a storm can do that, but uh, it's, it's uh, amazing that um, only one life was lost in, in all of that, so we're um, very, very thankful, but uh, appreciate it. I know a lot of y'all brought stuff in this morning, and we appreciate that, and there's lots of areas in the, in the community you can help, and we want to encourage you to do that. Well, I want to I want to start with a story this morning that um, I read in uh, one of Joel Osteen's book. Don't judge me because of that. Okay, uh, he's a positive guy. You know, uh, he has some great stories. But he told the story in one of his books that has always stuck with me. And he tells about a a U.S. pro golfer who was invited by the king of Saudi Arabia to come to Saudi Arabia and. Uh, and to play golf in a tournament. He goes, I want you to be my partner as the king. I want you to come and play in this tournament. He goes, okay, I'll come. He's, oh, you will? Yeah, it's great. So he uh, gets his private jet, sends it over to the United States, and brings back this pro golfer. And uh, they play in this tournament. Matter of fact, they play golf all week long, and it's a great time. The king likes him. He likes the king. Uh, obviously, he's treated like royalty. And so at the end of the week, they've had a great time, and he's getting ready to leave. And the king goes, look, I really appreciate you coming and playing golf and being in this tournament all week, and it's just been a great time. I've really enjoyed it. So let me do something uh, for you because you go, oh no no no, you you know you've treated me like a king. Your hospitality's been amazing. I've enjoyed it. You don't need to give me anything else. No no, I insist. And he says, well, I do collect golf clubs, so maybe if you want to get me something for my collection, that'd be great. And so he says, okay, I'll send it later. And so the guy goes back to the United States, and so he, he says, you know, I was really kind of thinking, this is the king of Saudi Arabia. I mean, he's got all this oil. He's really rich. I can't imagine. Is it going to be a solid gold putter, you know? Um, is it going to be some famous person's golf club? You know, what, what is he going to send me? And he kind of kept waiting for days and weeks for, you know, FedEx or UPS or Amazon or somebody to come bring this big box with a special club. And finally, he gets an envelope from Saudi Arabia. And he's like, an envelope? That doesn't look like a golf club to me. And he opens up the envelope, and it is actually the deed to a 500-acre golf club, as in country club, to add to his collection. If he didn't have one, he's got one now, right? You know. So the reason I like that story is because a lot of times in life, our expectations of something are very different from somebody else's, right? This guy's thinking he's going to get a golf club that you swing, and the, the, you know, the king's thinking something completely different. And we all have these moments in life. There's expectations. I have expectations for my kids. My kids have expectations of me. I have expectations for my spouse. My spouse has it. We all deal with this, right? Our, our employers have expectations of us. We have expectations of our employer. Um, uh, people who represent us in government, we have expectations for them. And they have very different expectations, you know? But it happens in life all the time. We constantly deal with expectations as a part of life. And when they're different, they're different for everyone. And when they don't match up, yours to mine or mine to yours or mine to somebody else's, sometimes there can be 
situations that arise because of that. Now, sometimes it can be a great thing. Sometimes our expectations are, are exceeded, like in this case with the guy. He's thinking he's going to get a golf club, and he gets a golf club. You know, I mean, it's something very different. We can have our uh, expectations exceeded, but sometimes we can have them left unmet. They can be in a negative way. Someone doesn't do what I expected them to do. I expected you to do this, and you didn't do this. Or someone expected me to do this, and I didn't do that. And so I left them wanting something very differently than what actually happened. And life is full of both examples. Sometimes they're exceeded. Sometimes they're unmet. But it's simply part of working with others. And part of our challenge as humans is learning to clearly express and lay out what our expectations are. I know a lot of times in life we don't do a good job of that, so people are like fuzzy on what our expectations are, and that's how come they don't get met. But even, and we know this, even sometimes when we lay them out perfectly clear to people, our expectations, they're still not met, and we still have disappointed because the thing that we had anticipated or expected did not happen. Well, we've been going through this series called On Earth As It Is in Heaven, and we've been looking at, God's kingdom and how Jesus described that kingdom. And uh, in his prayer, when he taught the disciples to pray, he says, you know, uh, we pray that, that famous prayer about we want this, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as he showed what the kingdom of God was like through his parables and through his teaching and really through acting it out, people could see in that first century what these expectations of God's kingdom were through Jesus' teaching. But what we found out is that the first century Jewish nation had a very different expectation of what God's kingdom should look like to them. It was very different. Even though Jesus consistently talked about what it should be like in his parables and teachings, a lot of them were scratching their head and going, is that right? Is that what God's kingdom is like? And we in the 21st century have over 2,000 years of commentators, people throughout the years have looked at those parables and looked at Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God, and they've commentated on it and told us what Jesus really meant and what, you know, culturally, some of this and that and all that kind of thing. So we have all of that. And so we kind of ask ourselves, why didn't they get it? Why didn't they understand better Jesus' kingdom of God, his perception and his expectations? But in reality, before I get arrogant about that, I realized that if Jesus showed up today in 2021 in our 21st century and laid out what the kingdom of God would look like and he told parables based on our culture and our environment and the things that are going on right now in our world, I bet a lot of us would not understand what Jesus was talking about. We would say, that's what the kingdom of God is like? We would scratch our heads. We would not necessarily understand. We would not necessarily agree. And some of us would absolutely not like how he laid it out for us. So this morning, as we remember what was known as Palm Sunday, it's Palm Sunday today. If you don't know that, you should know that. That's a significant, um, in the history of the church, that's something, that's a, it's a, a sacred time when we remember Jesus making that entry into Jerusalem, the Holy Week, signifying this Holy Week before he goes to the cross and before we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, this triumphal entry. And I want us to listen to Luke's account of that event and try to put ourselves in that first century crowd and what it would have been like to have been there. Whether you knew about Jesus or didn't know about Jesus or maybe had, had heard him teach or maybe never heard him, but you saw him coming into Jerusalem for Passover. And I, I think we should ask ourselves, how would we have responded? Would we be waving uh, palm branches? Would we be throwing our, our coats down on the ground? Would we be saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David? Would we be saying those kind of things? 
Or would we be maybe a skeptical observer and go, I've heard about this Jesus guy, but is he the real deal? And maybe we would be an outraged religious leader or traditional Jew who goes, this guy can't be the Son of God. And any response generally exposes our expectations, doesn't it? Think about that for a minute. Generally, whatever kind of response we have to something, people know pretty quickly what our expectations are of something. But we're going to read Luke's account, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the gospel writers, give us this account of what happened on this triumphal entry. But I want to use Luke's today because it is unique. So we're going to read from chapter 19, verses 28 through 44, if you have your Bibles or your personal devices, and we're going to have it on the screen. Thank you. Listen to how Luke records it. Verse 28, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when you and your enemies will build an embankment, when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Well, we've been looking at these different parables that Jesus has been teaching throughout his ministry leading up to this triumphal entry. And he talks about the description of what the kingdom of of God is like. And these parables, these stories, we enjoy a lot of them. But again, as I've said all along, we kind of scratch our head and go, I'm not sure what that means exactly. But we see over and over again that God's kingdom is these things. And I know I've said this every week, but I want to say it again. That God's kingdom is inclusive to all of humanity, regardless of where you are. Regardless of where you come from, it is inclusive. It is mysterious. Yes, it operates in ways we don't understand or don't see always, but it is actually present and working in the world whether we understand it or not. And it works and it grows in this mysterious way even in hostile environments, even in evil environments. God's kingdom is still growing even when we can't necessarily understand it or see it. And God's kingdom consistently calls for a response from us. A response to join this kingdom, to be a part of it. Not just acknowledge his existence, but to be a part of it. Now, I'm not sure if Jesus' parables were all actual stories that really happened. They may have been, or Jesus may have just made them up for teaching purposes. I don't know, but they were certainly powerful stories, word pictures that challenged not only that first century crowd, 
but all people throughout history to rethink, to reframe the way we look at God's kingdom and what it's all about. And Jesus does in the triumphal entry and other actions following, as writer Robert Capon has suggested, that he's been telling these stories, but as he goes to Jerusalem, he is starting to act out, living out these parables about what God's kingdom is really like. He's actually living these out now. And Jesus has undoubtedly given multiple pictures through his teaching about what the kingdom of God is like. But as we read Luke's account, we see Jesus is really acting this out as he goes into the city. So Jesus starts by giving instructions to his disciples, which in turn turns out to be a fulfilled prophecy. The actions of the disciples going ahead and finding the exact cult that Jesus told them they would find and that there had ne- it had never been ridden before. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. And he says, people are going to ask you, why are you taking the cult? And they're gonna, you have to respond. Everything, it was exactly as Jesus predicted. Now, I don't know if y'all caught this, but Luke is also the writer who gives us a lot of details about Jesus' birth. Did you notice in that passage a lot of the same kind of language that we hear at Jesus' birth? Exactly as they had been told. Remember when the shepherds were told, you will go and find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And they went and found it what? Exactly as they had been told. It's the same kind of language that he's he's talking about here. The things that the angels said that night, glory to God in the highest. We hear that same kind of language here. And I think, Luke, there's no... Uh, no doubt in my mind that the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to point back to Jesus' birth to this moment as well. So Jesus could have possibly, yes, set all that up ahead of time, and maybe he did, but it appears that Jesus was displaying his power to fulfill prophecy, to know things that no human could possibly know. This colt, this foal of a donkey is part of one of many fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament. And I want to remind you as you think about This next week is Holy Week, and maybe think about what did Jesus go through every day of this week? There were some teaching opportunities where he told some of his most powerful parables that were called the parables of judgment, that at the end we go, I like the lost son better. I don't like this thing about the sheep and the goats, Jesus. But he told those judgmental parables, but he waited to the end. But there was just an amazing amount of prophecies that are fulfilled in this last Holy Week. And this particular one is from Zechariah 9.9. This is over 500 years ago when the prophet Zechariah is trying to encourage the nation of Israel. You've been in this bondage. You've been uh, under the thumb of Babylon for so long. And they're allowing you to go back and you need to reestablish worship to your God. You have been called to be God's holy people and show the world what worship to God is like. You need to reestablish that. This is some 500 years, and listen to what Zechariah 9.9 says. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is written 500 years, and Jesus is precisely um, showing exactly what was 500 years ago. He's acting it out now. Jesus, as Luke tells us, rides the donkey, living out for them these expectations of God's kingdom being fulfilled in his ride to Jerusalem, lowly, poor in spirit, poor in wealth. And I think how, maybe we think, a lot of people go, how is this triumphant? You know, Jesus was poor. He didn't have much money. He stayed wherever he could stay. And he wasn't wealthy enough to come to Jerusalem and stay in town for the Passover feast that was coming on Friday. He, wasn't a, he, he couldn't afford that. He had to stay on the outskirts of town. But he comes in to town on this donkey. How is this triumphant? Jesus is not coming into town like a warrior on a white stallion with his sword drawn like he's starting some kind of battle or war. 
but on a donkey. That should say something about what this king is all about and what his kingdom is all about. So I want us to look at the different reactions of Jesus coming into town and, and to Jesus as, as he comes in there and how the different people that are there react. Keep in mind, for the last two and a half to three years, Jesus has literally probably healed hundreds of people. He's done a lot of miracles that his disciples have seen almost the gamut of, but other people have seen bits and pieces. But people have flocked to Jesus, but sometimes his teaching or even his parables left them confused or even disappointed because of the expectations. And many would stop following him because of his radical teaching. And Jesus would say, oh, you want to leave too? And the disciple says, you have the words of life. We know you are the Messiah. Where are we going to go? And they stayed with Jesus. But recently, there's been an, a, a surge in Jesus' popularity because a man named Lazarus, who was his friend, had been dead for four days, and Jesus kind of you know, drug his feet a little bit, at least the sisters thought so, Mary and Martha, and he came and he literally raised Lazarus from dead, and now his popularity is at an all-time high because this was a public display of Jesus' power in front of a lot of people, and so people are flocking to him, and he's got to be the Messiah. And if that is something that he can do, then maybe as we're starting Passover and you're going into Jerusalem, maybe this is a campaign to overthrow Rome and people wanted to be a part of that. So Passover is approaching and many are making their way to Jerusalem from all over the world and the region. And what better time for Jesus to get his kingdom started overthrowing Rome than the Passover? But Jesus has been to Bethany. If I can kind of describe this a little bit, so up on this hill kind of like this, we're, you know, there's this Bethany and Bethpage where Jesus is staying. And he can look from way up there at the Mount of Olives and he can see Jerusalem. He can see the temple and it's this beautiful sight from a distance. So they're coming down this hill looking at Jerusalem and they go down into this Kedron Valley and they slowly make their way up to Jerusalem. So this is what he's viewing as he's going down. He's seeing what he's seeing and the people are like, this is the Passover. This is a significant event when God freed his freed his people all those years ago from Egypt out of bondage. We're in bondage to Rome. Maybe it's going to happen again. The, the sun is gleaming on the temple and people are excited and Jesus is coming. He can raise people from the dead. He can feed 5,000 people. He can walk on water. He can do all this stuff. Surely he's going to redeem Israel. But Jesus, as he looks, has to know what he's really getting ready to face. It's going to be a cross. It's going to be beaten severely. It's going to be death. And he recognizes that nobody really understands what he's getting ready to go through. So this famous profession, uh, procession goes down the Mount of Olives through the Kedron Valley and comes up. And then the disciples and all the other, Lord Luke, as we read this morning, says they joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They throw their cloaks on the ground. John's gospel said they throw palm branches on the ground. Again, this is connecting Jesus as the Messiah, as a victor connecting prophecy and the covenant and God's promises to this moment. God's, God, uh, John's gospel also shares that they say, Hosanna, Hosanna. And Hosanna in Hebrew really means, please save us. That's what it means. Please save. Jesus is acting out. We want you to save us, Jesus. If you are the Messiah and you are the Savior, save us from Rome. The disciples recognize who Jesus is and have certain expectations of what Jesus will do next. And hey, we're going to be a part of that because we are his disciples. But another reaction we see in Luke's recording is that the, that the religious leaders are there and see all this going on. And they're going, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't let them say you're the Messiah because you're not. And Jesus goes, are you kidding me? Are we doing this again? 
We've been over this over and over again. We know you don't believe. Your heart is not open to God's kingdom. You have a completely different expectation of God's kingdom than even God does. But even if they, even if I silence all these people from saying anything, he says the rocks will cry out because it's part of creation. Anything, creation. Jesus, as Paul says in Romans, will ultimately redeem all of creation. It's groaning to be redeemed. All of creation, us, all of the world. And Jesus does talk about, we do know from Revelation, there's going to be a new heaven and a new what? Earth. Everything's going to be redeemed. So Jesus says, even if the people stop crying out, the creation that I've made from the beginning of the world will cry out to who I am. The religious leaders do not recognize who Jesus is. They do not understand this kingdom. They don't want to be a part of this kingdom that he's described. This whole procession has enraged them. And then we come to this moment that I picked Luke for today because Luke is the only one that records that Jesus stops in the middle of going to Jerusalem and he starts crying. He starts crying. Why? This is a joyous and festive occasion. It's the Passover, Jesus. All our people are coming into town. Our relatives, our friends, we're going to celebrate God's deliverance from Egypt. We've been doing it for hundreds of years. This is a celebratory time. You've just raised Lazarus from the dead. You have the power. You are the Messiah. Why are you crying, Jesus? There's no crying in a triumphal entry. There's no crying in baseball, but certainly not a triumphal entry. But Jesus is crying. And I don't know who Luke interviewed to find out exactly what this felt, but the disciples probably saw this and they heard him say, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And then Jesus makes this morbid prediction of what's going to happen in about 37 years when Rome's going to come in and destroy Jerusalem. And I'm sure the disciples go, here we go again. Jesus, you okay, man? Because it seems like every time we get excited about this, Jesus is, is on board with us and we seem like we're going in this direction. And then all of a sudden Jesus says something and it's like awkward silence. What does that mean? Why did you say that, Jesus? But Jesus is looking and recognizing your expectations are so different than God's, than mine. There's actually a church in Jerusalem that marks the spot of where they believe Jesus actually sat down and wept for Jerusalem. And it's called Dominus Flevit Church, which in Latin means the Lord weeps. There's actually, I didn't know that. There's actually a church you can go and worship, and that's where Jesus supposedly stopped on his way and wept. And as I just said, about 37 years, we know that Rome had had enough of the Jews' nonsense and their crazy religion that they didn't understand, and they came in and they absolutely destroyed in 70 A.D. Jerusalem and Am the Temple. But I want us to focus on Jesus' words. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it's now hidden from your eyes. Even you, who is you? Who is he talking to? Well, I believe he's talking to that first century Jewish nation, the chosen people. They have always been chosen since the beginning to reflect who God was, God their Father, and that covenant and what it means to worship him, what it means to have relationship with him. But they've missed it over and over again because their expectations were of something different. They don't really know their own identity in Jesus who's right there. Their expectations were all wrong and you can't, they couldn't see what would bring them peace, even as Jesus comes in. They couldn't see the Prince of Peace was riding on a donkey right in front of their face. And I arrogantly say, man, those first century Jews just didn't get it. How could they not get it? How could they not see what Jesus was doing as their Savior right in their midst? 
Well, they could miss it because I miss it. Because we miss it. Even in 21st century. Like I said, if Jesus came today, we would probably miss it. I can't help but believe that he would cry over us today. In our community, in our nation, in our world. I believe Jesus would cry. Cry that we continue to seek our identity apart from him. That we continue to go after these hollow, empty things that leave us unsatisfied. And we keep going after them and it breaks his heart. How we continue to think human political leaders or popular movie, music or sports star. They have the truth that we need to know to to find success and happiness in our life. And don't doubt me on this. Because many of you are still angry about what happened as a result of the last election. And some of you are real happy about what happened in the election. And guess what? You're both wrong. Because those politicians are not going to meet your expectations ever. They never have. They never will. Because their kingdom is not of this world. It is this world which will fall just like Rome fell eventually. And we think those first century folks and all the century of folks throughout history have thought that we can somehow get our deepest needs met apart from our creator. We can't. Adam and Eve thought they were, they were deceived by Satan and we continue to be deceived by Satan in a lot of different ways that we can somehow get our needs met by all these things. Watch the commercials. And we think we can get our needs met that way. Y'all, do we? We're still left empty Why do we continue to fall for that lie? But our creator knows us because he made us for a purpose that we so many times fail to see because we have selfish expectations. Paul tells us plainly in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's what our purpose is. That's why God created us. And he made those purposes, those plans for us before, those works before we were even born. St. Augustine said this, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. How true is that? Jesus wept then because he knew the expectations of the crowd. And within a few days, they would be disappointed. And Jesus' death would bring them and us what we really needed, forgiveness and restoration to God our Father. And they would miss that. And it breaks his heart. So this morning as I I wrap this up, what expectations do you have, do I have for Jesus in our own lives right now? Some of you, me included, we have some crazy expectations that we expect Jesus to fulfill. And when they don't come about the way we think they should in our relationships or our job or our world or whatever, we're mad at him. Just like they were. And Jesus knew that day how these same folks would turn on him in just a few days. And Jesus knew that all throughout history, me included, we would all turn on Jesus at some point. Miss the point of God's kingdom and continue to search for those selfish expectations and try to have our needs met apart from God. And guess what, y'all? He went to Jerusalem anyway. As he's way up here on the hill going down, he knows In about three days, all those people are saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Guess what they're going to say? Crucify him. If you're not going to meet our expectations, Jesus, we want you dead. Let's find a new savior that will meet our expectations. But he went to the cross anyway. He suffered knowing that we had the wrong expectations anyway. He hung on that cross for six long hours knowing that we would let him down. And he did it anyway. That makes me want to cry. 
to know the depth of that love? How will we respond? Well, the good news of the bad news of what we know what happens to Jesus this end of this week is that it gives us grace. And Jesus wedges open that door to God with his dead body forever. The door is open to God. It couldn't, we can't get through that door without Jesus. If we could get there any other way, y'all, Jesus didn't need to go through what he did, but he had to go through what he did so that we could get back to God the Father and be restored in relationship with him. So this morning, we want to offer that opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to accept that. Put away your old life, your old expectations. Bury those old expectations, that old self And be resurrected to a new life in Christ and in God's expectations.